we have a, a large shop with 20, for Australian standard, 29 CNC layers is fairly large. Um, we have plenty of good competitors. There are a lot of good repetition engineering firms in Melbourne. Uh, when I say a lot, there's a half a dozen of us that I think are excellent firms. So for us, for each of us, those six firms, I think business is pretty good. But like everything, it doesn't get any easier and you can't afford to rest on your laurels. Or as I say to my staff, if things are good, don't relax because they'll get bad. And if things are bad, don't worry, they'll get good. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff, here with my co-host Lloyd Graff. On today's show, we're talking about the machining business down under. Our guest is Graham Sinclair, owner of Parish Engineering in Melbourne, Australia. Graham has been in the machining business 60 years, since he apprenticed at age 14. Today, he continues to run Parish with his daughter, making parts for sectors such as defense, aerospace, mining, automotive, plumbing, and hardware. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. We are here with Graham Sinclair, owner of Parish Engineering near Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to the show, Graham. Thank you very much for inviting me. I hear that you are uh, a fan. That's, that's, yes, that's well, what I, my dad said. <laughs> and that's right. Well, he's quite right. I've read your magazines previously and, of course, as now online. And I always enjoy reading his commentaries. Ah, you have good taste. <laughs> had, uh, had we ever had we ever talked to Graham before now, or he's just um, an anonymous fan, Dad? I've talked to him about uh, a month ago, and I talked to him about six months or nine months ago about uh, buying a screw machine from us. But how long have you been getting the the blog? Well, the, well, almost since it came out, because I used to um, read it when it was a when you had a written magazine. Wow, uh, we actually sent it all the way to Australia. You did. We were crazy then. God. <laughs> well, I think I might have been the only one in Australia getting it, but I certainly used to get it and enjoy reading it. And um, I, in some ways, I'm disappointed it went online, but um, I used to read it during my lunch hour. But now it's more awkward. Yeah, you're 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 not alone. Uh, people used to we would feel complimented when people say they read it on the toilet. 
Ah, oh, right. Well, I never did that. But um, the other thing about hard copies is that I would pass them around the factory and, you know, into the lunchrooms and other people would read them. And this is one of the problems today with everything online is you don't get that advantage. Yeah, you read it on your smartphone on the toilet and you just hope you don't drop it in. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people would, yes. So, Graham, tell us something about yourself. Uh, I understand well, you've been doing this for a while. Yeah, well, tell us, tell us about your company and then, uh, yeah, then give us your story. What do you guys make? Right, well, our company, Parish Engineering, was started by Mr. Parrish. In nine, well, he started in business in 1932, and he formed the company structure that we have today in 1944. Um, he started off as basically a, a, a turner, turning man, repetition engineering, turret lays, and then moving up into canned automatics like Index B60s and Skodas. And in 1968, he had no children, decided to sell the company. He sold it to a man who wasn't an engineer. And I got introduced in the company in 1972 to understudy Mr. Parrish so he could fully retire, which he did. And in 75, I was sacked by the new owner. <laughs> and in 1980, I came back and bought him out. <laughs> and so we've had the company... Uh, my business partner and I since 1980 until about 10 years ago when my daughter joined the company and my business partner, who is also my brother-in-law, decided that he would like to just have my daughter and I in the company. So he sold out to us. Okay. Are you a job shop? Yes, we're basically a screw machine job shop. We have 28 CNC lays the, these days and a couple of vertical machining centres we have uh, a lot of citizen uh, sliding headstocks, about nine of them. We've got a couple of stars. We've got Morisiki, Sagami, Nakamura, Index, Miyano, Lyco. I think that covers the oh, whole wow. gambit. Uh, which one's your favorite? <laughs> well, I, I think the citizen machines are excellent. Uh -huh. um, they've been brilliant for us. And what kind? I've got... Um, L20s, E32, M32, a couple of E32s, six or seven L20s, L32 and an M32. Well, after the show, I'll have to ask you if you're interested in buying an L20. <laughs> right, okay. Always a salesman. <laughs> <laughs> Journalist slash salesman. Right, good. <laughs> so you... You make stuff for the plumbing industry, for for which which sectors? Well, we used to be predominantly the automotive when I took over the company in, in the 80s. We were significantly automotive, but of course that's all closed down now. So we do do some automotive for the Ford Ranger because the Ford Ranger gear shift assembly is made here in Melbourne and shipped all around the world. So we make five parts for that. We do parts for all sorts of industries, but 40% of our business is we make pneumatic couplings and air fittings for the truck braking systems. Hmm. So all the air brakes on trucks, we make a whole range of fittings, quick connect couplings, adapters, reducing bushes, 
and that sort of thing. And that's 40% of our business. So 40% of our business is our own product, which is the air fittings. And 60% of our business is just contract jobbing work to anybody in volumes from 100 to 100,000. And will those automotive parts be sent from Australia to, say, uh, the United States, for instance? Yes, well, the Ford Ranger is assembled in, I think, South America and uh, South Africa and Thailand, I think. And I'm pretty sure the assemblies are shipped to all those countries. Is that the small pickup truck? Yes, the Ford Ranger pickup truck. And it has um, the six-speed gear shift automatic gearbox uh, or the gear shift assembly for the six-speed automatic is made here in Melbourne. Much to most people's surprise. Yes. So then you you asked me about the history of myself. Yeah, yeah. So so my dad was saying you started at, at 14 or did you start earlier than that? No, I, I left school when I was 14 because my parents were very poor and, and um, I started an apprenticeship in fitting and turning on the 13th of January 1960. And and you were in you were in Melbourne, uh, oh, yes, Australia. Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne. And I then commenced going to night school. I went to night school for ten years, three nights a week, four hours a night, uh, for ten years to get a diploma of engineering. So I'm qualified engineer and a qualified tradesman. And two of my daughters are mechanical engineers, and one of them is the CEO of the company these days. And uh, the other one actually works in New York. But um, so I just commenced my 60th year working. Wow. And I'm now now down to five and a half days a week instead of six. <laughs> and I'm now setting the alarm for seven o'clock in the morning instead of six o'clock. That's my move to retirement. How many hours a day do you work? Oh, I'm generally in here by eight and I very rarely leave before six. That's Although five days a week. You told me you were, you were on grand, uh, granddad duty uh, the other day when I talked to you. That's right. Um, um, we had one of, our grand, one of our five grandchildren stay with us um, one night a week and one day, so I tend to come in a little bit later on that morning. Uh-huh. So that's my history. So you're 74. 74, yes. When did you, when did you know you wanted to go into... Uh, this racket, machining, etc. Well, I, look, I would say most of my life has been not planned. I mean, I had to leave school, um, or more or less had to leave school, and uh, I decided to do fitting and turning because I couldn't go to university. It seemed a, a good path. I got into, in, into fitting and turning and did my diploma, went and lived in England for a while hmm. with my wife, and then when we came back to Australia, I got a job in repetition engineering or a screw machine company. And that's the start of my career in this industry. And I haven't changed since. And uh, do you come to the U.S. Uh, periodically to see your daughter? Yes. Well, I, I was there in September um, for the IMTS and I visited my daughter. And she's got two children, so we love to visit her. And I... Uh, just saw them recently, whereas my, three of my children and I were skiing in Italy for a couple of weeks in February. And so I saw her then, and I'm going to America again in late June to visit her and spend some time in Idaho and 
Glacier National Park and Seattle and hmm. touring a bit around America. Do you do you know much about the differences between a shop in Australia and the United States? I mean, obviously you've never had one in the United States, but can you opine at least, you know, a shop ver- shop versus there and other places in the world? you have any idea? Well, I've, I've been through um, a repetition engineering shop, screen machine shop in America, and I've also been through a couple in England. And in the long run, they're all we're all much the same and we all have the same problems mm. and um, deal with the same issues. The major difference between Australia, England and America is we work to metric and you work to inches. I, I was brought up in inches, so I can speak both languages, but it's all metric these days. When did Australia change? About 1974. Hmm. How much of your uh, stuff is exported? Um, not, well, I guess at the moment about 25% of our output was probably exported, but not directly by us. Mm. Uh, through our customers who buy our parts and then export them in assemblies or such. And, uh, okay, so you've you've moved heavily into the sliding headstock machines and the CNC equipment. Do you see a place for the multi-spindle machines anymore in your business? Well, we yes, we do, because we, we do have one index MS25 multi-spindle, and that came when I bought another company three years ago, which makes these air fittings for the trucks. And we use that continuously making parts for that industry. And we took that company over from a man who wished to retire, a much younger man than me who wanted to retire. (laughs) And um, we're growing that business. And we feel that in the next 12 months, I'd like to put another multi in, which I thought I'd never do. But um, we've got high volume and we need to do it that way. Where the CNC work is diminishing in Australia, hmm. and some of it is because of the lack of the automotive industry. The, the, CNC, the CNC work is diminishing. and Well, to some extent. To some extent. And what's taking its place then? Well, not a lot of work. That's the problem. Australia doesn't support manufacturing as well as other countries, and our governments seem to have a negative view on manufacturing, uh, although it's still very strong. Um, it's not as strong as it used to be, and I don't know what the future holds. And uh, do you have the labor issues that people in the United States seem to have, which is uh, the lack of people interested in going into manufacturing and lack of skilled uh, machinists. Is that an issue in Australia? Yeah, a very significant issue. Again, because of the demise of the automotive industry, they used to train a lot of people. And, of course, there's lack of training. And, again, um, the general community here has a a negative attitude to manufacturing. In fact, I'll tell you a story about a company here in Australia that makes parts for Boeing, significant parts for the Boeing aircraft, has one of the best and most 
sophisticated manufacturing facilities in Australia, world-class manufacturing. He invited the local school to bring students through on a tour. And as they were touring this magnificent modern plant, he heard one of the teachers say to the students, now, if you don't work hard at school, this is where you'll finish up. Hmm. Uh, you know, and this is... The, that's a sad commentary. Uh, it's just... And there's a lot of that, you know. Yeah, it's um, like that here, too, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a worldwide... Well, it's a worldwide problem in the developed world, it seems to me, that nobody wants to be trained up. Most of my staff here would be um, born overseas in countries like India, Germany, Italy, Greece, um, England, England uh, you find that they're the people that are training new, mm-hmm. new machinists and then they want to move overseas to a better country where the local people here seem to still think that the only path in life is a university degree in commerce or something, or arts, then they can't get a job. (laughs) What's the immigration policy like in Australia? Is it hard to emigrate? Well, up until recently, we were taking 130,000 migrants a year. Um, When we have a population of 25 million, that's a fairly large number of migrants. It's, if you're a skilled person, it's fairly easy to come. And again, it depends where you're coming from. If you're a skilled person wishing to migrate from, say, America, Canada, England, or South Africa, it's easier than if you're trying to migrate from other less developed countries. Mm. But migration is a very important part. Australia is a hugely multicultural yes. country. I think the, the number of different nationalities in Melbourne is something close to 200. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing because I think most people in the world don't even know about that. Oh, yeah, Melbourne Melbourne is like living in any country in the world because you can go to any restaurant from any country in the world here and uh, you would walk down the street and you think everybody's a tourist because none of them look like an Australian. <laughs> What's the difference between Sydney and Melbourne? Uh, Sydney is a um, slightly bigger city. It's a beautiful city on the harbour. It, it is also big in manufacturing, but the hub of manufacturing in the metalworking manufacturing has always been Melbourne because most of the automotive industry was in Melbourne. Um, Sydney tends to be in bigger manufacturing, and that's a general statement, really, but they are closer to some of the mining industries and hence tend to do some of the bigger mining-type work where Melbourne's been more of the mass-produced components for things like the automotive industry. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcast podcast at gmail.com would you call uh, uh, Sydney like the San Francisco of uh, Australia and Melbourne be more like the Chicago 
Um, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, Sydney's more brash like New York and Melbourne's more sophisticated. Uh, Melbourne's considered the food capital and the fashion capital of Melbourne, of Australia, I should say, and the sporting capital of Australia. Interesting. Right. Well, Melbourne, my image of Melbourne is always framed through uh, the Australian Open tennis tournament. Right, right. Right. And as somebody who's uh, gone to Wimbledon a few times and gone to uh, the US, US Open. Open a few times. Uh, it's on the list. It's on the list of places. Well, well, I hope you come and see it because it's a magnificent venue. And one of the lucky things we've got in Melbourne is we have, within walking distance of the CBD, some of the best sporting arenas in the world. You've got the Tennis Centre. You've got the MCG, which is 100,000 people stadium and you've got many stadiums around that so if you're staying in melbourne you can walk to all the sporting venues you just can walk to them all uh well uh, talking about racket sports uh you told me that uh, you've been involved in racket sports for a long long time and consider yourself a pretty nice player well i play squash um which i've been playing for 50 years. 50 years? Uh, 57 years, actually. And I'm captain of my team. We play in a competition once a week, four to a team, and I'm number one in our team. I'm probably the oldest in the comp, um, but I'm still playing, and I'm still beating people 26 years younger than me. I'm still getting beaten by people 26 (laughs) years younger than me. And, uh, no, I love my squash. I play twice a week. Yeah, well, for the people who don't understand squash and have never played squash, tell us the difference between squash and, and racquetball or squash and Yeah, I was wondering what tennis. the difference is between squash and racquetball. Well, squash uses a much smaller ball and a different racket. Other than that, it's a pretty well, it's a similar game, but it's a faster and harder game. Racquetball is invented for those who can't play squash. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever played racquetball? Yes. Yeah. Uh, is, is it played on the same court as a racquetball yes. court? Uh-huh. Yes, same court, yeah. Basically, it's the same game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, squash really probably came out of handball, which was played on the yeah. same sort of court. And racquetball came in as a later game. You think... Ra- the racquetball became popular because it was a an easier game to play than squash. Yeah. Because the, the squash rackets are small and... Well, the, the rallies don't go as long, uh, generally. I mean, I'm talking about generally. Uh, maybe at professional level it's different, but squash rallies can go for a lot longer and you've got to travel a lot more on the court. You've got to move faster and quicker and the game, the ball moves probably twice the pace of a racquetball. Hmm. Uh, have you played tennis much? Yeah, well, I've got three tennis courts next to door in my house. I was in the tennis club. All my children, of course, played tennis. I mean, everybody, in the, well, not everybody, but when we were growing up, everybody played tennis. That's just an Australian thing. Yeah, well, I mean, the days of... Uh... Of Rod Laver and Ken Rosewall and uh, Roy Emerson and is Margaret yeah. Court from what's Margaret Court? Yeah, no, she was from Perth. From Perth. Did you know any, or do you know any of those guys? 
Well, when I was a young boy, I remember going to Kuyong and when Ken Rosewall and Lou Hode were there and they were giving us coaching lessons. We were all just in the stadium, a whole lot, bunch of kids, and they were there giving us tips and instructions on how to play. So, yeah, I do, and they were my heroes, of course, when I was a young lad. Um, but, man, I don't, our tennis players today of Kyrgios and uh, Tomic aren't exactly heroes anymore. He's he's sort of a controversial guy, right, Kyrgios? Yeah, well... Is he half he, Aborigine? We, no, he's... Um, uh, he's not Aboriginal. I forget what he's from the Malaysian or something like that. His mother, uh, I, I, you can't quote me on this. I think his mother's Malaysian or something like that. Uh-huh. Do you guys deal um, a lot with China? Is there a lot of business between Australia and China, or your company with China? Well, no. Well, I buy some things from China, like um, some tooling. I don't. I sell, I do export one part to China, just a small quantity on an irregular basis. As far as China goes for Australia, they're our biggest trading partner, but that's because they buy a lot of minerals from us, coal. They are the biggest trading partner for Australia. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's logical. And How far, how far is, is Australia from China? Well, a lot closer than America. Um, you can probably get to China... I'm not sure, but it's probably about six or seven hours. Whereas when I fly to America, it takes me 14 hours just to get to Los Angeles and then another eight hours to get to New York. So, uh, but China is significant trading part. Well, they are a major trading partner. They buy a lot of our agricultural minerals, wine, because wine's a big export for Australia. What do you think of, uh, I mean, a lot of people who... Uh, read the blog, listen to the podcast, are big Trump fans. What do you, as an Australian person in manufacturing, think of Trump and his policies, and how do they affect you? I would think the general view in Australia of Trump is not very positive. Um, We would feel that he'd be an embarrassment to us, Um. Not living in your country, I don't know what his policies, how it affects you, but to us, we, well, to, certainly to me and to a lot of my friends, his continual tweeting doesn't seem to be the way to run a decent foreign policy when you're tweeting about other leading leaders of other countries. It, it's not the way we're used to. So we find that uh, unprofessional. I have no idea whether his policies are good for America, but I would, in Victoria, we've got this uh, strange situation in Australia where down south in Victoria, and we have a much more conservative um, state, where if you go up to Queensland, you'll probably find in the north. Are you in Victoria? Yeah, we're in Victoria. Okay. If you're up in the north in Queensland, you'll probably find a lot of Trump supporters. And it's a bit, you've got to remember, the north here is the equivalent to your south because it's close to the equator. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it seems to me that the closer you get to the equator, the more or the less conservative people tend to be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether that's a, a fact or not, but... Uh, 
the southern states of America seem to be um, more Trump-leaning. Uh, I, I make it could be completely wrong on that. No, you're, Australia, you're right, I think. I think you're right. And the, well, the northern, the northern states in Australia are more... Um, would be more Trump supporters. In fact, one of the issues we have in Australia is that if the government in Canberra, which is between the southern and northern states, makes a policy that is popular in Victoria, it will not be popular in Queensland <laughs> and vice versa. If they pass a law that's popular in Queensland, it'll be unpopular in the south. <laughs> uh, going back to business, I'm yes. curious, how is your business these days? Well, we're doing very well considering the situation. Um, because I've been in business for a mere 38 years, or nearly 39, um, we've managed to make a profit every single year. Um, I think we sort of know how to. Oh, sorry, in the GFC year, we just made a small loss, but uh, we could have made a profit. But um, because I've been in business, and we're probably the, we're possibly the oldest. Um, machine shop of our type in Australia, having started in 32. So I suspect there's not anybody older than us. I certainly don't know anybody older than us in Australia. I think we have a good name. We're good for quality. We've been around. We have a, a large shop with 20, for Australian standard, 29 CNC layers is fairly large. Um, we have plenty of good competitors. There are a lot of good repetition engineering firms in Melbourne. Uh, when I say a lot, there's a half a dozen of us that I think are excellent firms. So for us, for each of us, those six firms, I think business is pretty good. But like everything, it doesn't get any easier and you can't afford to rest on your laurels. Or as I say to my staff, if things are good, don't relax because they'll get bad. And if things are bad, don't worry, they'll get good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, that's how it's been all my life. And I, uh, Graham, I understand you're more of a hands-on type uh, leader that yes. you don't sit in the office a lot of the time. You like to be out on the shop floor. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I mean, I'm not a, I don't, not a prime mover, but I go out there and when they have problems with manufacturing a part or with machines, I because my daughter is taking over as the chief of the company, I'm now just the engineering manager. So I come in and work on problems, technical problems and engineering problems. And yes, I'll be out there um, when they're setting a new job. If they have problems, I'll be out there. If there's maintenance issues, I'll go out and work out what the problems are and how to fix them. So yes, I'm very hands-on. Mm -hmm. I don't, wouldn't say I'm in a pair of overalls every day or anything like that, but I'm certainly spend a lot of time on the shop floor advising, directing, and deciding. Is that your preference? Is that your passion? Oh, yes, I think so. I mean, as much as I enjoy sitting in the office talking to you and doing other things, um, I think my greatest benefit to the firm is using my 59 years of work knowledge out on the shop floor. What's it like working with your daughter? Oh, wonderful. Um, I probably it gives the company more purpose knowing that there's some reason to keep I'm, I'm about you know buy new machines I'm about to buy order a new machine from, most likely from Taiwan next week and I wouldn't be doing that if I was 74 and didn't have a daughter here what are you what are you buying for, uh, right now I'm probably going to buy a Lyco or Lico machine mm. which I've got 
I've got three of them, and um, they're quite a good machine. And what do you like about the Leica? Sorry. Well, they're um, they're very similar. Well, they're basically a CNC version of an Index B60 uh, um, in the Jab Four cross slides, which have X and Z, and the turret which has lots of uh, axes with the C axes and. Uh, so it, it's a very quick machine to set, very flexible machine, and is good for setting up for doing short or long runs. Mm. And how much does one cost? Um, about a hundred. Well, depends on them. About one hundred and fifty US. Graham, uh, it's really been a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. That's all right. My daughter enjoyed the blog that you had last week about a woman running a engineering shop in uh-huh. America. She was most interested in that because she's doing the same thing, of course. Well, it's a, great to know that somebody's listening out there. I know, I know. It, we, did, you, did you have a chance to listen to the one before that about the guy saving time? No, the, one I, the last one I listened to before that was the one on the, the husband and wife. Yes, that were running. yes. And that resonated with me because it sounded like exactly what's happened to this company over many years. Like when I bought this company, it didn't have a CNC machine. Mm-hmm. Now we don't have anything but CNC machines. Right. Well, great to talk to you. Um, and uh, We look forward to uh, meeting you when you come to buy a Wickman. Well, I hope that happens one day, and and it's been a pleasure to talk to you both. I've admired you from afar, Lloyd, over the years, enjoying your articles, and I've been impressed with your um, business acumen and the way you've driven your company, and obviously your son's doing the same thing. So it's a real honour to talk to you. Hey, everybody. First... We just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos, and of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review, as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.